0: Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. So this morning I want to talk on a specific subject, like every Sunday, but a couple weeks ago we talked about this idea of choosing the important over the urgent. How many heard that? And I, I think it was, it was important to see what was more important in our life versus the sense of urgency. But as we talked about this, we really talked about the idea of rest. The idea of rest for our souls. You know, Jesus actually called us. He says, if you're tired, if you're weary, if you're worn out, if you're burned out on religion or just life, then come to me. Why? So I can give you a real rest for your soul. Now, in the Hebrew, how many know Jesus was a Jew? Yeah, he was a Jew. He was born under the law. And so he was navigating these waters of Judaism. But also he was visiting people who would be considered non-Jewish, Samaritans, people who weren't of the faith, to let them know, guess what? You're in too. So he had this, this way of navigating things and, and speaking law to those who were under the law because the law isn't bad. Right Now, we've maybe heard through, if we go too far with the pendulum, the law is bad. No, the law actually was good when it came in because it was bringing more clarity to who God was, what it looks like to live kingdom. But then Jesus came to say, let me explain some stuff to you. Let me show you that it's not just about keeping laws on stone. It's about having love in your heart. That's what God was trying to move us toward. And so in the Hebrew, we have this word, savath, say Savath. It's, it's this idea of rest. How many have heard of Sabbath? And so this, this idea of rest and Sabbath or Sabbath, it was built right into the old covenant, right into the law. Jesus, I should say God, wanted the people to see that they needed to have rest in life. They needed rest for their souls. I mean, their whole mentality was one of slavery. I mean, these were people who were enslaved, you know, oppressed occupied. I mean, this was their life story. And so when the law came, he says, above all, I want you to remember who delivered you from slavery, but I also want you to set time aside for rest. You need this Sabbath. And there's an importance of finding that place of rest. That's, that's what God has done for us in the finished work of Christ. So it applies to us even here today. Jesus called us to a life where we, we actually work not for him, but because of him. Does that make sense? It's a life where it's relationship with him, not performance for him. So none of us are here to say, hey, God, look at me. I mean, look what I can do. Look what I can do. No, it's look what I can do because of you. In fact, look what I want to do because of you. So it's not about performance. It's about relationship. How many agree with that? And he tells us that he wants us to walk with him to work with him and to watch how he does it. Essentially, this is what we learned two weeks ago. He wants us to understand what it means to walk in the unforced rhythms of grace. I love that in the message version. The unforced rhythms of grace. How many could say I could use a little bit of unforced rhythms of grace in my life? I think if you have kids, raise both hands, right? But it's learning those unforced rhythms of grace. Even when everything around you is just an upheaval, It's just having unforced rhythms of grace. It's like, I have grace, I have peace, I have love, I have his goodness. And so it's flowing in that. So today I want to talk about, more specifically, our identity. Who we are in Christ. Because if we don't understand this, then guess what? We miss out on a life lived in the unforced rhythms of grace. So we need to see who God sees us as. Because how many know that sometimes we see ourselves in a certain light? I mean, we deal with it. I deal with it all the time. And I have to remind myself, wait, what is God's story about me? What is God, what is the Father saying about me? Basically, I want to address the issue of the stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves. So today, let's choose this. I choose true self over false identity. 2 Corinthians 5.17, the apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth here. And he says some interesting words. He says, whoever is a believer in Christ is a new creation. How many know that belief matters? I say it often, but you can't walk in anything, you can't embrace, you can't grasp, you can't get a hold of anything unless you believe it to be true. And so that's why belief in Christ is important. Now, me praying a prayer doesn't make something happen that's already happened, it, it allows me to step into what he's already done. Does that make sense? So that's the beauty of it. Like, I mean, 2,000 years ago, it was a done deal, but I have to awaken to my righteousness, is what the apostles tell us. And so he says, whoever is a believer in Christ is a new creation. Look at this. The old way of living has disappeared. Now, some of you are like, it has, <laughs> right? But this is sometimes a faith statement for us. It's disappeared. See, the more you awaken to who you are, the less that old life will rule you. He says, "A new way of living has come into existence." Now today I want to talk to you about the idea of the stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves, to show you how this understanding of our spiritual life is so crucial to how we live, because let's face it, how we live really matters. Do you know people are watching us? Not just because you, you say I'm a Christ follower, but people just watch people. You ever gone to the Mall? Isn't it fun to just people watch? I don't know if it's scriptural or not, but it's kind of fun. But people are watching us. I want people to see hope. I want people to see life. You know, I mean, sure, sometimes they see me arguing with my wife, but most of all, I want them to see hope, right? I want them to see life. I want them to see that there's something more than maybe just what we see here. There's a whole nother level. Now, how many of you here talk to yourselves? All the time. I have a guy at work, this guy talks to, I mean, I'm always like, well, what was that? Because I use the AirPods in and he's talking and I'll do the double tap to turn it off or pause it. Like, what's that? He goes, oh no, I'm I'm just talking to myself. I'm like, what's the famous thing we say? As long as you don't answer back, right? But you know, we're all talking to ourselves. I mean, it's just this thing. Have you ever caught yourself? You're just alone and you're talking. You're like, wait a minute, who am I talking to? It's, it's, we're talking to ourselves. There's this inner voice that's telling ourselves about ourselves, So what story are you telling yourself about yourself? A lot of yourselves today. But it's true. We we all have a story about ourselves. And and for some of us, I think we really struggle. Now, this could be a positive voice that reinforces who we truly are. And I see more and more of that in my life as as I'm awakening to who who I am, as I'm hearing the voice of spirit and him telling me his story about me. I awaken to that. And so there's more positivity. But sometimes it can just be a negative voice. Sometimes it's a very, very negative voice. Can I get one amen, right? And it just reinforces this false identity. So again, we got to look at what we're choosing. Are we choosing our true self over false identity? Because again, we all have an inner voice that tells us a story. So here's the question. What story are you telling yourself about yourself? Just think about that for a minute. What story are you telling yourself? How many are familiar with the Genesis story? The creation story. Uh, It's this beautiful Hebrew poem that was written. You know, every culture wanted to know where did we come from? I mean, what, what, what are we here for? Ever asked that question before? And so all these different cultures had different creation stories. But the Hebrew story was different than any other story. It was a story of this deity who created for the sheer joy of creating. The sheer joy of loving something else. No other culture at the time had a creation story like this. It usually had something to do with, like, you know, death, carnage, war, fighting, deities fighting each other, scattering remains all through the universe, and there we are. So really wonderful story, right? Can you imagine that? a National Geographic. But this story that the Hebrews told was of a God or a deity, of a divine being who loved humanity and desired someone to have a relationship with. Now, if you know in the story, there's two people. There's Adam and Eve. Adam actually means human being, so it wasn't like a literal name, but we know that they represent all of humanity, right? And so they were placed in this beautiful garden. They had these beautiful surroundings, luscious, wonderful, and beautiful. Everything that their heart could desire. Complete access and relationship to the divine. But what happens? In the story, we see the serpent appear. And in one question, think about this, in one question, the serpent completely undermines everything they believe about God and themselves. What was that question? Did God say, I was reading through this story and I realized the enemy didn't even really have to lie. He just had to bring some type of doubt Because, you know, someone can come to you and say, oh, so-and-so said this or this or that. And you don't have to say, no, they didn't. You can go, oh, did they? You do it in such a way where you're like, oh, wait, was that a, what, are you agreeing? Or is that a question? I'm not sure. I think that these three words are probably some of the most important words in our lives when it comes to what we believe about ourselves and what we believe about our God. Did God say? See, again, we each have a story that we're telling ourselves about our own worth. And this is just what it comes down to. Some of us feel worthy, some don't. You know, for some of us, you know, maybe we say things like, I'm not smart enough, I'm not strong enough, I'm accomplished enough. What was that guy in Saturday Night Live? Um, yeah, Stuart Smalley. Thanks, man. Was, yeah, I think that was him, he's sitting in front of the mirror, he goes, I'm good enough, I'm strong enough, and that whole thing. But, but for a lot of us, we don't feel like we're smart enough, strong enough, accomplished enough. Someone else is more disciplined than us, they're more moral, they're more good looking. Come on, you saw their Instagram, right? And you're like, dang, and you fall into this great depression. How can they look like that and put those photos on Instagram? First of all, it's a highlight reel right? I would love if for one week, well, maybe not, if everyone would just put anything that's not highlight. You know, the, the stuff that really happens, that would be so, you'd be like, oh my gosh, they're real people. Oh my gosh, everything else, it's just fake. It's a highlight reel. And then we wouldn't feel so bad about ourselves. But see, a lot of times we're just comparing ourselves to others. We all tell ourselves stories of our own worth and value. Now, sometimes we're beating ourselves up but other times, there's some of us or others who they have this bloated ego story about how awesome we think or they think they are. You ever ran into someone like that? That's on their Instagram too. And they're like, they're full of themselves. You're like, man, they seem like they have so, many, so much confidence. But I'll be honest with you. I think sometimes the people who toot their horn the most are probably the most insecure. When you have to show yourself so awesome and all the best trips. Now listen, I I love when you share things about friends and family, I get that. But some people, they're so insecure and, and they feel so worthless that the only way they can get some type of worth is if I post stuff and make people think that I'm okay. And guess what? We don't have to do that. We're already accepted. We're accepted into the beloved, right? Father loves us, he cares for us. Everything we need or ever want is in Him, So we don't have to go that route, but we do have these two ways to go. But either way, they're both false identities. They're not true stories about ourselves. Whether you feel like you're completely unworthy, or you feel like you're unworthy, but you have to fake like you're worthy. Both stories are based on false identities. But guess what? We all have a story we're telling ourselves. Now, we've talked a lot about the prodigal son. I I, I love this parable. And actually, there's three parables within the one. It's actually one parable. When Jesus spoke the parable, he didn't say verse 17, verse 18. It was a story. And so the way that it actually flows in the Greek is we see it's one story about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. I'd like to say plural, lost sons, because both sons were lost, right? Right. So in this story of the prodigal, though, I think it gives us some idea of what we tell ourselves in regard to our relationship with God. So just a brief setup, if you've never heard the story before, a man had two sons. The younger son said, Dad, I want my portion of the inheritance, which, by the way, also says something about the parables of Jesus. They were meant to disorient us, to force us outside of our normal way of thinking and seeing, because to the Jewish listener, they say, they say wait, 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 he asked for the inheritance before his dad died? I mean, we don't even do that now usually, right? When do you get an inheritance? When someone dies, right? So already Jesus starts this thing off and like, whoa, wait a minute. Hold. Did Jesus just say that? He asked his dad for the inheritance before he dies? So this younger son, somehow the father says, sure, gives it to him. He runs off to a faraway land. We know the story. What does he do? He wastes all his money on wine and women. And eventually he hits rock bottom, as we always, as all of us have a tendency to do sometimes, right? So as he heads back home, because he's starving, he's slopping pigs, he's even wishing to eat the pods and the food that they're eating, he's starving, he comes up with this rehearsed speech. He says, if I could just go and convince my father to just allow me to be a servant, then at the very least I won't be starving. But part of that speech is this statement I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So he's going to approach his father, and he's hoping that through this speech, he can somehow gain some favor and eat again, right? But he says these words I am no longer worthy. To be called your son. So the son gets home, and before he can even finish his rehearsed speech, the father cuts him off. First words get him a robe, get him a ring, put sandals on his feet, kill the fattened calf. What is the father doing? Why does he cut him off mid sentence? Because he's trying to let the son know that his worth isn't based on what he did or what he does. See, in this culture, when you would give this robe, by the way, um, they tell us culturally there was a robe that was kept in a special place in the home uh, of, of rich men and rich rulers, and it was called a special robe. And when a guest of honor would come you know, into uh, the foyer or whatever there of the house, first of all, how many know they walked in sandals on dirt streets? So they had really dirty feet. Well, servants would be there immediately to wash their feet. Can you imagine that? I'm like, oh dude, don't look at my toenails, right? But but you'd walk into the foyer and they'd wash your feet, but then a servant would come out with the best robe. Now imagine that best robe is put on you. Why? So as you're walking through the house, maybe you take a gaze through the hallway and there's a mirror, and you look, you're like, wow, I'm honored in this place. Isn't that wild? A lot of scholars believe that that robe wasn't just any robe. It wasn't the robe that he got from the best Western and he stole out of the closet. It was the best robe. It was a robe that was reserved for those who, who they wanted to show honor to. So he shows honor to the son, and then he puts a ring on his finger. Why the ring? Well, the ring literally was like a credit card. They could go in the town, they could go to the market, and literally just place the seal of that ring, and it was payment. He was saying, guess what? Your status never changed in this family the best robe, the ring, and then sandals on his feet. Sandals represented wealth. Not all people had sandals, especially the poor. And even the poor, if they did it, with was some kind of makeshift sandal. These were the best sandals. What was the father trying to say? He was trying to say, your sonship, your status in this family never changed. But I went off. I wasted my inheritance. I didn't live like a son. He says, that's not what matters. What matters is your back and you're still family. Your status has never changed. See, here's the son having this story about himself that I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And what does he do? Get him a robe, get him a ring, get him the sandals, kill the fattened calf, we're gonna party. Why, the father had a different story about him. He didn't have the same story that the son did. The father has a different narrative about who the son is. In the father's eyes, this is my son. Let's party because he's returned. He was lost, but he's been found. He's returned. Let's party. So we see the younger son has a decision to make in this very moment. Do I believe my story that I am no longer to, I am no longer worthy to be called your son? Or do I trust, say that with me, trust the father's story about me. Well, we see by the story, he must have trusted his father because he was in partying, right? Then we change the scene here because, you know, of course, the father was like, this is my boy. I love him. Now, does this boy cling to his version of his story or does he trust his father's version of his story? Well, it looks like he trusts his father. But look at the next scene. It's the older son. Now, a lot of times, the older son gets a lot of grief, but listen, we're all lost in some way, right? We're all broken in some way. And he hears this music coming from this huge party that's carrying on. And he's coming in from the fields. He's been working hard all day. In fact, he asks the servant, what is this noise all about? Let's pick it up in Luke chapter 15, verse 27. The servant told him, your brother has come home. So your father has killed the fattened calf to celebrate your brother's safe return. Now, what is the response? Most of us know, but what is the response of the older brother? It says, then the older son became what? Angry. And then he refused to go into the house. He was so angry, he refused to even look at his brother because of what his brother had done. But look what happens. It says his father came out and begged him to come in. Now, again, Jesus is blowing minds because the patriarchs of this time did not come out and beg anything of anyone. they were like, get your butt into the party. I'm not asking you. But see, he's demonstrating the love of the Father. It's, it's not manipulative, it doesn't coerce, it doesn't force. He gives him a choice. He came out and begged him to come in. That's a pretty powerful word. But look at 29, but he answered his Father, All these years, I've worked like a slave for you. Are we seeing his mentality? He's supposed to be a son, right? He says, I've worked like a slave for you. I've never disobeyed one of your commands, yet you've never given me so much as a little goat. I think that's hilarious. He's like, I'm worth a goat, right? Maybe not the fattened calf, but maybe a little goat. He says, for a celebration with my friends. But look at this. But this son of yours, he can't even say his name. He says, this son of yours spent your money on prostitutes. And when he came home, what? You killed the fattened calf for him? I mean, he cannot even believe. He's disgusted with his father. See, something's not clicking. So the older son has a story that he's telling himself. What is it? It's summed up like this. I've worked all of these years for you. Can't you see what I've done how hard I've worked, I didn't take the inheritance and go away and just squander my money. I've been here the whole time. I've never even threw a party for myself. I've obeyed every command. I've done everything you've asked me to do. See, the younger son's story is I'm no longer worthy to be called your son because of what I haven't done right But the older son's story is I am your son because of all the years that I've played by the rules and I've worked hard and I've done everything right. Can you see the difference? But yet it's the same. Neither of them have relationship with father. They don't even understand the heart of their father. Have you seen this before? Have you heard this story before? I did it all right. I mean, I was moral. I I didn't do that and that and that. Like everyone else, I've suffered for the cause. I've been the good child. I mean, doesn't checking all the right boxes gain me something in life? But if you look at the parables of Jesus, there's one parable he talks about. A guy went out and he hired some workmen and they started in the morning hour. Then he went out and he got some more and he started them around noon hour. And then he went out and he got some for the very last hour of work. And when it's time to pay everyone their salary, guess what? Everyone makes the same amount of money. In fact, he pays those who came later in the day first so everyone in line could see, oh, wow, how much did they get? Oh, man, I'm going to get hooked up. I mean, they got $100. I'm for sure going to get two, right? So they get up there and they go, here, here's your portion, $100. That's not fair. Say, that's not fair. that's not fair. See, in the kingdom, it doesn't seem fair, does it? But Jesus is trying to make a point that everyone's welcome to the table. It's not based on social status or how good you've been or how bad you've been. Will you receive his goodness? Because it's for everyone and you can't earn it. You can't do enough to earn it. How do you earn a gift? Gifts are free. So Jesus did this all the time. So he's rocking this kid's world, right? But look at the father's response to the older son when he says, oh, I've done everything right. I've listened to every command. Look at, he says, my child. Now this is key. He didn't say dude. He didn't say you ornery little brat. He says, my child, confirming, listen, you're my child. You're my son. Listen to what your father has to say. He says, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. It's almost like everything was there the whole time but he couldn't see it. He was working so hard like a slave or a servant that he missed out on the fact that you were always with me and everything I have is yours. If you wanted a party, throw a party. Have the goat. Have the fattened calf, but throw yourself a party. It's always been there for your taking, but you couldn't see it. Interesting. Essentially, the father is saying that all your years staying home, working hard, and being loyal didn't earn you a position as a son. You had that the whole time. See, the difference in this story could have been The brother comes in and he's so excited because he understands the father's heart. In fact, he's been working hard in the field. Why? Because of the love relationship he has for his father. See, this happens a lot in church. I've seen it. I've done it. Where I feel like, listen, I'm working hard. I'm trying to check all the boxes. I'm trying to be good and even more gooder. You know, as good as I can. Why? So I can somehow maybe garner more love. I could earn more acceptance and grace and and things from the Father. But the thing is, I'm always a son. And the status of that never changes. Do you know where it changes? Right here in my mind. Who do I think I am? Whose do I think I am? See, that's what he was struggling with. Both sons struggled with identity. They believed false identity. One didn't think he was worthy. The other one thought, I've done everything right, so I must be worthy. But both of them were suffering from false identities. And the father was trying to line things up to say, no, no, you need to see your true self. You are my child. You are my sons. Isn't that powerful? Why? Because you are always with me and everything I have is yours. I choose true self over false identity. That's what we have to choice of of doing today. So we understand that the father in this story is the God character, right? Jesus would tell these stories and often the father uh, or someone in the parable was representative of the divine, of God. And of all the lines of dialogue that Jesus could give this God character, think about this, Uh, of all the lines he could give him, this is what he says, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. I think that's outstanding. Let's make this personal. However, you view God, however, you view the divine, begin at this point. You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. Close your eyes for a minute. I want you to picture Heavenly Father saying to you, You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. What a beautiful starting point. And you could say, well, you know, I prayed the prayer and I've been following Jesus for 10 or 20 or 30 years, but maybe we haven't come to this point where we've heard him say the words, I am always with you. He promised to never leave, leave us and never forsake us. And everything I have is yours. See, each son had their own version of his story. And then what happens is the father in this story, representing the God character, he confronts each son with the father's version of his story. So we have the younger son. What's his story? I am not worthy because of all I haven't done. What's father's story? This is my son. Get him a robe, kill the fattened calf, let's party. Is there a difference in those stories? I don't see any unworthiness there. And he chose to believe the father's story. The older son, what's his story? I am worthy because of all that I have done. How many have been there? What's the father's story? Did you think you were earning being my son? You were always with me, and everything I have is yours. See, for the father in the story, this story never changed. Their status never changed. Both boys were his sons. So why is this story important? Because you and I are trusting a story about ourselves. We are choosing true self or false identity, sometimes on a daily basis. Who is it that I really am? And you know, for a lot of us, especially me, I struggled for years with this. My identity was based on what I did. So to me, it was a sum total of everything I ever did. Now here's the deal. If you don't see yourself correctly, then the outflow of that is incorrect things. But it still isn't telling you who you truly are, showing you who you truly are. I mean, this is something that, come on, Bruce, we've learned this, what, 10 years now in grace? That it's all about his grace and his goodness, and he's showing us who we truly are. If we believe a wrong story about ourselves, what is the outflow of that? You know, that's why I think it's become so much easier for me to love what I would consider or someone would consider my enemy. Jesus says to love your enemies. We like to skip over that part sometimes, right? But... Why is someone our enemy? Well, usually because we feel like they're against us or they're against what we think or what we believe. But how many know this that, that everyone's been indoctrinated with something in life? And so when I could see past, I mean, somebody, if somebody lashes out at me, it doesn't mean I'm like, yeah, yeah, lash away. Come on, bring it on. I'm Jesus, you know? I mean, I'm not saying I always respond that way, but, but what helps me get through that is to go, wow, this person is hurting. They're broken, they're struggling with their own identity right now and all they know to do is to lash out at me because I happen to be there at that point and they need a target to hit. And so it's helped me to say, okay, maybe they mean it, maybe they don't, but I wanna pray for them. I've actually gotten to the point with some people where I've actually had a heart of compassion, like, wow, why is all that venom coming out of them? And then I think of all, even the physical issues in their life because of the bitterness and just the pent up anger and the rage, And so when you start to see things like that, see, we all live out of identity, whether it's false or it's true. And I believe that Jesus came to show us our true self, to awaken us to true identity, your sons and your daughters, but you just don't see it. The apostle Paul dealt with it over and over and over. Stop living like orphans who don't have family or source or origin. You have family source and origin. It's father, it's Yahweh. He's your source. It's a powerful message. And in order to live in the unforced rhythms of grace that we're talking about, we need to understand who we truly are. Now, for many people, the fundamental way that relationship with God is explained was in terms of transaction. Say transaction. It was a transactional thing. Transaction is the idea that God has done something for you So here's what you have to do for God in order to make what God has done for you stick. You ever felt that way? Like, I mean, I've seen the bumper stickers, right? Jesus died for you. What are you gonna do for him? Jesus died for you. Will you live for him? Now, I get they're trying to play on words and stuff, but it gives this idea that, oh man, I I owe Jesus. I think Jesus, if he were standing here and said, you don't owe me anything. I I did this because I love you. I want you to see who you truly are. You don't have to pay me back, but what you can do is believe the story that I'm telling you about you. You can believe that there is true change and there's a true self in there that you just aren't aware of yet. And if you spend some time and you work with me, right? If you watch me, if we do this together, you'll begin to awaken to who you truly are. And when you do, then those actions will change. It's a powerful message. That's the gospel, right? In other words, here is what you have to do so that God will do this. That's kind of what we're saying. But the truth is God has already done everything he's going to do because it's called the finished work. What are the famous words of Jesus, it is finished. So what do we do with this? One word, trust. Say that with me, trust. I mean, the disciples said, you know, what, what is the work of God? And Jesus says, yeah, only believe. I mean, that's a pretty short statement. Only believe. No, no. What work do we do? Uh, Believe. Because when you believe, guess what's going to happen? You'll start to work out of that belief. Sometimes we try to work before we believe. Does that make sense? And so he's saying only believe. So can you trust that this is who Father says you are? Whose version of your story will you trust? The gospel is an announcement of who you are. It's a massive reminder of who you are, a son and daughter of God, a child of God. I believe that the gospel is announcing a new way of thinking, doing, and being, which is really important. But do we trust this story? Amen? The story you believe about yourself deeply shapes how you live in the world. I've said this several times today, but whatever you believe is how you'll be. If you believe that you're worthy, then I believe that you'll walk out worthy things. If you believe that you're unworthy, you'll walk out unworthy things. So that's why in Romans 12 too, the Apostle Paul challenges us to be transformed by what? The renewing of our mind. It's changing the way that we think. If you believe at your core that you are unworthy, then you tend to act in certain ways that flow out of that. If you believe at your core that you are worthy, then you'll act in certain ways that flow out. Out of that. I think about this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesians. Uh, you know, every church he wrote to, man, they just they had issues, right? I mean, welcome to real life. And and they weren't necessarily acting like they should act, they weren't being who they truly were. I mean, they had all kinds of crazy stuff going on in the church. But the first part of the letter, he only tells them who they are. You see things like you've been redeemed, forgiven, you're holy. You're faithful. You see a pattern here? And he goes on and on and on. He's telling the people who they are. Then there's this little shift part way through the letter where then he starts telling them, now in light of that or in light of who you are, this is what we do. That's, that's why I love the letters of Paul because he's encouraging us of who we are before he tells us what to do. He's just saying, because you're these things, this is what it should look like. But if you don't know who you are, you won't look like this. And I think too often we go to services, and, and I mean, it's, it really sucks, but preachers point their fingers and look down their noses and they tell you how unworthy and how horrible and sinful and God can't stand you and you're wretched and you get about this low to the ground. Instead of being inspired, what happens? Condemnation, shame, guilt. I'm not good enough. And sometimes by the end, you either out of fear or manipulation come to an altar, or you just go home and say, the heck with this, because I can't measure up anyway. What if we were to tell people that God loves them right where they are, but that there's more inside them that they can't even see? Something that God originated, something that he put there. How many people might say yes to that gospel? That's the gospel I see Jesus and Paul and Peter and the apostles preach. It's a gospel of this brand new way and this brand new life. And you know what's beautiful? They would stand up and they would tell people about this God who loves them. And he's done this for them. And it said, and the church was added to daily. People love that message because everybody wants to be loved and cared for. Right? Right? And people go, oh yeah, the ooey gooey love. I saw this guy again and he, he said some weird thing about, yeah, God is love, but love is not God. And I was so confused that I had to turn the thing off. I'm like, what is going on? His whole point was, we're just loving people, but we're not telling the truth. What? Wait, the truth about themselves and who they are? See, love does something to the heart. I've said this before, but we can bring fear and manipulation and we can control you in such a way that we we cause behavior modification and suddenly you're doing everything that you're supposed to do, but the heart's never changed. But you know what changes the heart? Love. And when the heart changes, you know why you do stuff? Because you can't think of any other way to live life. I've experienced this in my own life. When I've awakened to the love of Father toward me and his goodness and that he did all these things for me, whether I feel like I earned it or deserved it or not, it's changed my heart to a place where I want to be more Christ-like. I want that true self and that true identity to actually live outside of just who I am. Now, it took some years of just having to deal on the inside with myself, but eventually it starts to, you know, come out in these ways where I'm like, wow, I said those words and I reacted differently. Like, I mean, I know we have, I have a ways to go and we're all growing on the journey, but how many would say that love is what's transforming their heart? Can I get a witness? It is changing our hearts. And I don't even know what else to say. It's just absolutely amazing. It blows my mind that we won't preach this message more because this is what changes hearts. See, the more we know who we are, the more we know what to do. Let me say it again, like a charismatic preacher. Are you writing this down? The more we know who we are, the more we know what to do. See, if you want to know what you're supposed to do in life, because sometimes, you know, we're like, okay, I'm, I'm new to this Jesus thing. What am I supposed to do? It's like, uh, get to know who you are. Because then the what to do is going to happen. It's, it's awesome. The real power comes when you announce to people who they are. There's power in that. Think about how you're transformed. Are you transformed by long lists of things you aren't? Have you been in those services? Here's a list of stuff you aren't. I was never transformed, right? Just, I, I was like, okay, I, I feel like I can't measure up to this. But what actually changes your behavior? A heart change. So the gospel isn't about a transaction. It's about trust. Say it again with me. Trust. Trust. Say this. I choose true self over false identity. I want to look at Corinthians one more time in the mirror translation. It's beautiful. He says, now, in the light of your co-inclusion in his death and resurrection, whoever you thought you were before in Christ, you are a brand new person. And you see this? He's trying to convince you, listen, you're not who you think you are. You're a brand new person. He goes on to say, the old ways of seeing yourself and everyone else are over. Acquaint yourself with the new. So the question is, will we trust the father's story about us? Because when we trust his story, we can watch the transformation begin. How many have experienced that in their life? I know I have. I choose what? True self over false identity. Did you receive that this morning? Awesome. I want to open it up at this time. We have a microphone. Is there anyone who would like to ask a question or uh, add to what was said today?
1: I've learned um, many times coming here that like the messages you say are completely driven by God. That's why I like this church. I know that what you say has meaning behind it, and you want that for all of us. You want us to see that meaning. And I have also learned in the past couple years that as much as you pray for people or certain things to work out certain ways and whatever, the I've learned right way to pray is to pray to pray to be opened up to what's already there like pray Mm -hmm. for that strength that's already there but i need to feel it more and i've learned that um sharing that with other people even strangers um, is the way to go to get the word out because people will listen to a stranger on the street sometimes before they would go into a church Mm -hmm. to hear you know a pastor speak so a lot of what you've, learned, you've taught me is to not be afraid of going out to strangers and sharing that. And I basically did that this past week. Um, overheard awesome. walking by an apartment door, you know, people conversating. All I heard was the word God. And then knocked on the door I had gone to, they weren't answering. And something, and I don't, now I know to listen to this something inside me, which now I know is the Holy Spirit said, knock on their door. Because what I was going to do was read this book. And I thought, knock on the door and share that message. And the message had to do with David and Goliath and how everybody was so scared of the Goliath and everything. But David wasn't because he knew the battle wasn't in human. It was in God Mm -hmm. and in God's strength. And through God's strength is how we get through everything. And that's the message I shared with those people. And we were all crying through the conversation and hugging each other. Exchanging social media name, you know, like let's get on, stay connected. So, thank you, I guess, overall. Thank you for sharing this message and every message every Sunday.
0: Well, thank you for sharing. That's beautiful. So, you didn't, they were strangers to you before? Not them at all. That's awesome.
1: And part of me, the world or my parents were like, that's dangerous. You know, the world was like, what if they think you're crazy? But I was like, no, God's telling me to knock on this door and I'm going to share this message if they want to hear it. And they did.
0: And that's why hearing the voice is important, you know. Bible in one hand, mace in the other. You know, whatever it takes. I'm just, I'm no, but, no, I was just fully no, but that, God. yeah. You, you you trust Holy Spirit, and and that's key. And that's really what I want to get us to. Where we're hearing that voice and. You know, as you learn the voice and you hear those things, and, and the biggest thing is stepping out in that, because sometimes we think, oh, man, they're going to totally shoot it down. But that's not true most of the time, to be honest. People are looking for hope. And if you're giving words of hope and it's spoke out of love, not a bunch of religiosity and how horrible you are, most people are like, yeah, I know I'm horrible, thanks. Let me go talk to someone who wants to tell me I'm okay, right? But Heavenly Father's saying, listen, you are okay as far as I'm concerned. You're not okay because you don't know who you are. So let's awaken to that. That's what salvation is. It's awakening to that righteousness, that right relationship, and then discovering the truth of who you are, mm-hmm. right? And that's what makes the journey beautiful. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. That's awesome. Morris?
2: Yeah, I was having trouble at work with a couple people, and um, they, they're they the type that put intimidation on you. They belittle you. They don't make you feel worthy. So I was going home and I was reading in uh, like Psalms 40 and it starts off, uh, these are just examples of what, this is probably David, I'm guessing. And um, I wait patiently for the Lord. He, that's how he starts off the Psalm. And then when it ends, he says, come in a hurry. And what's going on here, I guess, uh, for troubles without numbers surround me. My sins have overtaken me, and I cannot see. Hmm. They are more than the hairs on my head, and my heart fails within me. And he's, he's, uh, he's complaining to the Lord. And I think that's what we need to do when we're having troubles. If you go looking at every incident in the Bible, there's men of God crying out to God, complaining. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do to help me? Yeah. And of course he comes through. And I just want to th- these are very encouraging cuz David had surpassed my troubles compared to what I mean he had, he had everybody against him. Right. You know, you don't know, have to have to tribe of Judah anyway. So I just want to encourage people the next time that you're feeling belittled by somebody or some a lot of people maybe Go to these sounds; they bless me. I says, "Okay, it got my calm
0: me down a lot right.
2: when I was reading these." So yeah,
0: that's good. They we encouraged encourage me. We don't always see that, but I think it's beautiful that you know, the the scriptures weren't put in such a way that it was all neat and tidy and everything was in line. Yeah, and I I love that you know the Hebrews were just open about what they went through, what they felt, and even just questioning God, being angry at God. It's just honest, and so, you know, I think we can take from that, that have those emotions, have those feelings, ask God, what the heck's going on here? I mean, that's okay to ask those questions, because sometimes if you don't ask the question, maybe you won't get an answer, right? But but it's in those moments that then sometimes Holy Spirit will come to us, and he'll give us, you know, some direction, and we're like, oh, that's totally different than I was thinking, and okay, I, I can see that now, but it's great to be open like that. That's awesome. Awesome. Let me pray for you.